As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Whether you've been stuck for words like Marcus Rashford, correcting newspaper stories like Paul Pogba, or just getting a suit fitting like Fergie, it's been an eventful week, hasn't it, so far, in the aftermath of that result on Sunday. It's the biggest story in football on Talk of the Devils from The Athletic. course of this podcast then we're going to bring you right up to date with the situation and the mood at Manchester United and we'll also preview Tottenham including a word from the opposition spoiler alert it's not great there either the usual crew is here today me Ian Irving and also joining us the Athletics Laurie Whitwell and United We Stand editor Andy Mitten hello to you both has it been a bit crazy Laurie yeah mental your phone just blows up uh, in situations like this uh, busy but you know that's the job and it's you know, quite enjoyable when it's like this. Andy, you've been absolutely everywhere given your insight, haven't you? Is there anywhere you've not been? Stoke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you've not been to Stoke, actually. He's, you seem to have been on every 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 time I've switched the telly on, I've, I've opened up Twitter, that your face has appeared with insight. It's been brilliant. Yeah, and as Laurie says, it, it's crazy. The last day like this was um, when Ronaldo signed, and that was the first day of the family holiday. So... When United lost 5-0 against Liverpool, my wife said, so we ruined the first day of our holiday and Ronaldo's not even that good. My wife doesn't like football, by the way. She has no interest in it. Well, he is good, but <laughs> I'm not having a chat with you about about, about this. She said, are they going to sell him or, or, or give him to somebody else? I'm not, I'm not explaining the transfer market, how it, how it works. But yeah, I mean, you, you say squeeze us in. This is absolutely one of my priorities and I do, do, it, do it every week. And the people I don't squeeze in are people who just jump on a negative story and get in touch with me. And that happens. People I've never heard from before from all around the world. I'm like, where were you when Manchester United were winning? So I'm pretty reluctant. I know, I know that I've got to do stuff and it's part of the job. And I know it's going to be 
going to be difficult as well. But for, for Laurie and I, our job is to find out what is going on, speak to people. So a couple of hours after we recorded the one on Monday, I found out that Ollie wasn't going to be sacked. So then you decide what you're going to do with that information. And then on Tuesday morning, um, I found out that, um, yes, Sir Alex Ferguson had been at Carrington, but he was always scheduled to be at Carrington. He would have been there if Manchester United won or lost, not that United were even close to winning or even drawing. So that just gives you context and helps you build up a story, but against a backdrop of absolute fury. And I just try and be sensible. I try and report the facts. I'm not happy. As well as a journalist, I'm a, I've never hid my allegiance to Manchester United. And it's been really difficult because you get um you get people not not blaming you, but you get a lot of anger. They're, they're, they're looking to attribute blame. People are frustrated. And probably the worst example of this hasn't been at United, but Arsenal a couple of years ago when Wenger was was sliding out of power. And then subsequently from that, um, I remember David Ornstein getting abuse off Arsenal fans for him personally not sacking Unai Emery. And it's not his job, he's a journalist. He doesn't take that decision. So as a journalist, you've just got to d deliver the facts. But there's also opinion pieces as well. That's fundamental journalism is news or comment. So news is reporting hard facts from your best sources. In my case, I've taken 32 years to build up sources or comment, which is your own opinion. Which, you know, you might say that Manchester United are absolutely fantastic at the moment, but that would be a terrible opinion. Yeah, it's important though, isn't it, to to sort of influence the narrative as well. You know, you both have got good sources, you both have got good knowledge around the club. There's been so many stories. Wow, so many stories, which I guess always happens when you've got this sort of situation at United. I mean, Laurie, you've written it as well, like Andy was saying there, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is safe for now. How long is that the case? Good question. I mean, listen, if they go and lose 5-0 to Tottenham, then you can't imagine them keeping him safe for much longer after that. I mean, I think these three games now, they've given United a bit of time, I suppose. Uh, Spurs, Atalanta on Tuesday, Man City on the Saturday after that. So clearly they're hoping that they can get a positive result against Tottenham and it just gives you know a little bit more room to consider the matter. Um, it would be, I suppose, unusual if it was a really bad result against Tottenham uh, because of the quick turnaround against Atalanta. It, you're still thinking that United are hoping that the situation can resolve itself. Um, but I think you know it's now into the point where you start to think our inquiries being subtly made to other managers. That that's kind of how it feels right now. Um, but you know, United, you know, publicly, privately, are saying absolute faith in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. That was the news that was a little bit uncertain on Monday. It felt a little bit like it could have gone either way, just without having made the calls. Um, but then, yeah, clearly the way that the day went, um, you could tell that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was staying in place and that then the Tuesday that when he was coming back and after the players had had the day off, it was going to be some quite stark words to each other, I think, um, in terms of how can they actually sort this mess out. Yeah, Andy, um, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this question. Um, and I suppose the simplest way is, why do you think he's been given more time? A couple of reasons. One, a reluctance um, to, to tear it up and start again. It's not just about bringing someone in straight away. That manager, if recent trends uh, to... to recent experiences of managers are to be continued 
would come in and say that he wants five or six or seven new players. That's what managers do. Every manager does that. They bring their own people in as well. Um, two, to give United more time if there's going to be a change, because I don't think United have been looking at any other managers. Um, but clearly now you've got a situation which is untenable. Um, and if United are to do something, and I've got no evidence that they are, gives a bit of breathing space. Um, free to give Oli a, a chance to arrest this mess. There has been blips before. I spoke to people at the club who, who said that the club don't want to be short-term. And every time there's a blip and pressure to sack him, do that. And there has been other blips, none as bad as this. You know, there's never been a time where... No, I was going to ask you that. Where... You know, if if Ollie was sacked right now, I think the vast majority of United fans would accept that, right across the board, and you know with some sadness, but they'd accept it because it's been really poor. And I remember after the Leipzig defeat a year ago, we did a poll on um, United We Stand, and it's like fifty two percent of people wanted him to be fired. I, I suspect a lot of that was in the heat of the moment emotion because he's just been knocked out of of um, the Champions League. But I think now his his approval ratings, popularity ratings, call him what you want, his suitability for the job are at an all-time low. And United know that. United are not stupid. But it would mean ripping up and, and starting again. And for those reasons, I think he will be given a chance to turn things around. Whether he will or not, I've, I've no idea. The games are really difficult coming up. The, the team are conceding far too many goals. Got Atalanta, which is a big game. Um, I think if United didn't get out of this Champions League group stage, it'd be a massive, massive failure and a major issue. And we spoke about it a lot on on the podcast. Fans are tired. They're tired of the excuses. They're tired of the football. They're tired of of the results. And football is a results business, and the results have been dreadful. If you look at that one month period from October the the twenty second to Oct- September the twenty second to October the twenty third. Even with that two-week international break, United played seven times and won won those two Champions League games. That's it. Shocking. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why there's pressure on the situation at the moment, certainly. I mean, Laurie, there's been so many tales that have emerged this week about what's going on inside the camp in the crisis talks and all this sort of thing. Um, what do you understand about the truth of exactly how these last few days have gone for the players back in training, trying to recover from that Liverpool result and for the manager and the coaching staff as well? There's certainly um, uh, yeah, unrest. There's certainly players in that squad that are looking at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and thinking he isn't the guy to lead us forward. Now, are those people prime in the team? Are those are those people with weighty enough opinions to, to really mean, you know, to have significant influence? Um, that's the question, I suppose. But there's there's definitely a, a situation where you've got some players that have, have are losing the faith or are you know have lost the faith. You know, it's it's difficult to say you know with categorical certainty without speaking to the players direct, you know, privately. But you know, you, you talk to people that have a clue about these things that you know I think um, have a good handle on matters, and that's the that's the vibe that people like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, the players think he's obviously a really nice guy, but also has done some excellent things within the club to bring it on. Um, now then, I suppose like any of us, there is that doubt as to can he take them to the next level, which is there because of his pedigree previously. You know, he hasn't got a Champions League title to fall back on. He hasn't got, you know, um, multiple uh, 
experiences of going late into that kind of tournament or, or being in a, in a title challenge to sort of refer back to and say, actually, I know what I'm doing. This is why my methods will work. Um, you know, I think he does have faith in his abilities. He, he believes in himself, but it's the the kind of proof isn't hasn't been there from, from previously. So that's why then when results happen like they have done, when performances have been as bad as they have, have been, that's when players start to doubt and think, is this guy telling us the right things? Is the coaching set up the, the way it needs to be? Um, you know, there is obviously scrutiny on Kieran McKenna, who's a young guy who, as Andy says, is an excellent coach. When you speak to some people, they think he could one day manage a top six team. But at the same time, he's 34. And you've got, you know, for example, Cristiano Ronaldo is two years older than him, um, who's won, you know, five Ballon d'Ors and multiple Champions League titles. So there's, that dynamic is an interesting one where how much is is kind of, I'm not saying this about Ronaldo particularly, but how much is that is, is being listened to? Because it looked like, on the pitch against Liverpool, either the instructions were all out of whack or the players weren't listening to the instructions because it was so disjointed. You know, Some players were doing their own thing, it looked like. Um, clearly, you had Mike Phelan on the touchline trying to guide players into position, tell them when to press, when not to press. That's been a, quite a key thing, um, it feels like to me. Um, do United press? Are they a pressing team? Which people might tear their hair out about and say, you know, who cares? But it feels like there's a, a bit of confusion over that. That was one of the things that I wrote about in my piece that, um, you know, players were told to press against Liverpool, but they don't really train that much pressing. Um, now, that United, I don't think, actually do press all that much. I think they've kind of more a team to, to get into shape when the other team's got the, the ball. But clearly you had Bruno Fernandes pushing on from number 10 position for that first goal, um, pushing the goalkeeper on. And, and that kind of started this sort of domino effect where, you had Aaron Wambasaka pushing out, but not really with any energy, and then not tracking Robertson back in the same manner. Um, and, and you know, all you know, Lindelof shuffling across Maguire, and then that, that embarrassing scene where you've got Luke Shaw on his own. Um, now you can also point the finger at the players. There's certainly, you know, the coaches and, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would have would be well within his rights to to look at the players and say, well, you know, you've got to pull, put a shift in as well. You look at Harry Maguire and, and Luke Shaw; they've their form has, has kind of really nosedived since the Euros, where they were excellent, and, and last season as well. Um, something's not right there. But when you look at the team that played against Liverpool, it's basically the team that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's trusted most. Really, you know, Ronaldo being perhaps the, the change up top, uh, and that's obviously a consideration for him going forwards. But if that isn't working and it's been three years and that's his sort of most trusted team, then something's really wrong there. Um, and so that's something for him to solve whichever way he can. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, like we said at the top, it has been a busy week. Obviously, look, I keep a very close eye on The Athletic over the next days and weeks to sort of get the very latest on what's happening at Manchester United. But Laura, you, you found an interesting way to escape the noise, haven't you? Yeah, well, you listen, you've got to uh, unwind sometimes. Um, I was out in Mayfield Depot last night watching a bit of Caribou. Right, so Caribou greater than Carabao? I actually forgot Carabao was even on, you know. With United being out, I just wiped it from my mind. Uh, and then I, ca- I came out of the uh, Mayfield Depot, which is a great warehouse uh, kind of venue, by the way. If anyone's been to Manchester and fancies a bit of a party, then go to Mayfield Depot. They've all- always got events on. Came out and discovered that Man City had got knocked out on penalties, uh, which was, you know... A Caribou Carabao double, which I was quite happy with. Yeah, I mean, their most famous track is called Can't Do Without You and basically starts with saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> it's not a reference to your week, Larry, is it? <laughs> it's weird because I think all the songs are actually quite depressing lyrics, but when you hear the, when you hear the melodies, they're quite up-tempo and you can have a little bit of a boogie. So yeah, now you've mentioned it. <laughs> the, the lyrics weren't going in, but the, the melody was. Yeah, we've had quite a week of this, Andy, haven't we? We've had you in Ibiza and now Laurie raving at Mayfield Depot. You've got to let yourself go sometimes haven't you I mean I after that um five five nil as, as I said I got straight on the plane the plane was full of ravers and right I was getting calls off my editors including from the athletic saying can you do something now and I'm like I'm, I'm going to be for a 15 quid flight but I'll, I'll write <laughs> on the plane and um, I, I, I'm writing on the plane and I've got these ravers next to me going excuse me do you mind asking asking what you're doing yeah, I'm a journalist. I'm writing about United, and then this lad, very polite, just said, "I tell you where United are going wrong." I'm like, "Mate, I'd love to talk about it, but I've got to, I've got to have this done by the time I land." And they're like, "Where have you got tickets for tonight?" I'm like, "Can't believe I'm having this conversation." And then I walked into this club, and it was a bit moody at the start. I thought. You're so out of your comfort zone here. I think some lads were being ejected for like dealing or something <laughs> like that. But I just wanted two hours of listening to um, hard, heavy house or techno or whatever it was from a DJ I'd never heard of in my life. <laughs> and then the phone, the phone just started um, basically four o'clock in the morning because Manchester United are global as well. So I'm coming out of a, a club. Being off, being off for drugs in the street is no thank you, mate. I'm all right. I'm, I'm going to bed. I'm tired. Got an article to write, <laughs> and I did have. And then it just an absolute flood of, and I'm saying I'm getting turfed out my room and saying to reception, um, is there any chance I've got to um, you got a quiet space here? Because I, I actually like on BBC World, you know, it's it's, it's big, and I'm not. I've got a, like a t-shirt on because I didn't think I'm going on telly. And they're like, sorry, the hotel's closing for, for winter in 45 minutes. I'm, like, I'm going to have to be turfed out onto the street here doing interviews. But this is the job we do. And, and thanks to technology, you can do it in, in, in all sorts of places. I was out of action last night. If, if some breaking news had happened last night, I was, <laughs> I was not in a position to do anything. <laughs> Good job they didn't hear at Old Trafford. They might have acted, Laurie, while you were out of action, like you say. Well, in amongst all the partying, you two have also found time to sit down with Daniel Taylor somehow uh, to have what we've described as an emergency athletic forum to plot the path forward for Manchester United. Here's a little snippet from it. When um, Ferguson left and obviously handed over to Moyes, who obviously, you know, he was a big part in that selection process, if, if not, you know, the part Fergie made a big point of basically stayed away from Old Trafford for the first 
I can't remember exactly how long, but it felt like it may, maybe a, maybe a couple of months or so. But you know, he, he kept his distance because he knew that there were going to be people taking pictures of him, and if he looked annoyed during games, then you know that would be the picture. You know, he just didn't want that to be to be that guy that was kind of like seen as hanging around in the background. And now I'm torn about this because I kind of think you know if you've done what Fergie's done, you're entitled to ticket for life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But maybe I shouldn't go by social media. But I've seen people sort of saying like, is his presence helping or is it a good thing that he's the image that I remember of of May United nil Liverpool five was the moment the TV cameras turned on Fergie and he's got a face like thunder and then it goes to Kenny Dalglish who's laughing is you know that's not Fergie's fault in a way but it kind of I don't know it's a, it's a strange dynamic one of Edward Wood's things when he came in was that he, he wanted to reduce Fergie's input which obviously was quite a big and brave thing to do I don't think Van Gaal and Mourinho would turn to Fergie very often Maybe now Fergie's got his kind of like younger, you know, the guy he brought through in the team. He feels that he he needs to be more involved. I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. Is it, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or, or is it just something that isn't even an issue? Obviously, you two went on to answer that question from Danny. So subscribers can look out for an article of that conversation in full in the next few days on The Athletic. There'll be video clips, I'm sure, on the YouTube channel as well. But it is an interesting subject. And it... Fergie does seem to have been more visible in recent weeks, and I don't know whether that's an accident or not. Uh, like Danny was saying there, what do you think? Is it a problem? No, I don't think it's a problem at all. He goes to he goes to the matches, and he's entitled to go to the matches. And if you're a TV di- director, then and you've got the, the 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 opportunity of contrasting him with Kenny Dalglish, it makes for good television. So that's that one. Second one was his comments in the lounge um, to the fighter. Um, about yeah, the man who looks absolute nails. Um, because yeah, he, he is, is probably. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I thought that was pretty poor form to take a private conversation and put it publicly. So he's, enti- he's entitled to his opinion. Um, he did stay away. He made a point of staying away. He told the players he was going to stay away. But a, you couldn't stop players going around his house if they wanted to, and some of them did. Um, on, on, in the David Moyes um, era. Jose <laughs> um, Mourinho was the one who, who brought him back. Now, if you're Ollie, why shouldn't you speak to him? If if I was or you were Manchester United manager, yeah, you've got issues every single day, multiple issues. Why not go to him? I know loads of lads who played under him, even lads who were only first year pros. Um, I'll give you an example. I don't think he'll mind me mentioning it. Um, Ashley Westwood, who now manages in India, and he's like. Didn't even really remember whether Fergie remembered him. Got his number, rang him up. And Fergie was in New York, um, in Manhattan, right? walking down Fifth Avenue. And rang him straight back. And it's like, and Ash said, look, Gaffer, I've got a problem with a player. <laughs> bang, bing, bing. And Fergie just went bang, 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 bang. Like that. And, and why wouldn't you do that? And you think... Is that how he communicates? Yeah. <laughs> no wonder he's a mastermind. I couldn't decode that, could you, Laurie? <laughs> Morse code. I don't. I can't remember the player's um, issue anyway. But it. I think if um, if you're Ollie, you'd speak to. And not just Fergie. You know, Brian Robson as well. There are players. These people are Manchester United fans. That they're vested. In, they've got a vested interest in the club doing well. They're still on the payroll. You know, they should be pulling in the right direction because what happens a lot with a lot of players is when they leave, they leave in acrimonious circumstances. They always think they should have had another contract, another year shouldn't have been dropped from the team. And it takes them five or ten years. It really does take that long for them to get over having the ump 
and then realise, okay, they may have had a point letting me go. Yeah, I heard Ruud van Nistelrooy say more or less exactly that about 10 years after leaving Old Trafford, uh, after making it up with Fergie. Uh, Laurie, the interesting thing this week has been sort of using Fergie's arrival on Monday at, at the training ground as some sort of summit when uh, it's now been reported that he was just having a suit fitting. Yeah, suit fitting, long-standing appointment. You know, could they have changed it given the circumstances on Sunday? You know, I don't think it's that major a deal. Um, but yeah, bit of a Paul Smith tailoring for Sir Alex. Very uh, nice too. Happens every year, so it's. I don't think it's that big a deal. Um, listen, would he have spoken to Oligan Solskjaer that day? Quite possibly. I'm not sure, but um, it's, it wasn't. It's not the kind of big. You know, bring Alex in to sort the situation out that, that perhaps it, it might have seemed. Um, but he is, he is, you know, an influence. I, I, I think the thing that started all this um, is when he came out, you know, about the Super League. That that kind of started his his presence, and, and he had quite authority in that situation. You know, when he spoke that Sunday um, against Burnley about it not being something that United would be a part of and, and didn't like it, and, and that kind of set in motion a lot of things that then happened actually after that. So I think that's where he sort of re emerged as this kind of authoritative figure and then the Ronaldo transfer obviously played a part in. So it is an interesting dynamic to watch going forwards though. Yeah, okay. We'll keep an eye out on the Athletic for Laurie Andy in conversation with Danny Taylor about what's next for Manchester United. Of course, if you want access to the very best coverage on Manchester United, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to get a 33% discount off a new subscription. That's a third off when you go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Football, by the hell. Right, another big aspect to this story is if there's not been enough this week that seems to have been discussed in several places, including on the Athletic Football podcast earlier this week, is the relationship now and the structure at Manchester United between the club side of things and the football side of things. This is what Adam Crafton has had to say. They have so many people at that club who have been allowed to learn on the job over the past decade, whether it's Woodward moving into the football side of things despite having no experience of it, whether it's Matt Judge becoming the negotiator despite not having previous football negotiating experience, whether it's Kieran McKenna, who was a youth coach, and then all of a sudden he was Manchester United's first team coach, whether it's you know Michael Carrick moving in to become a coach as well. You know, these are all people that were learning on the job at the most demanding environment in the world, or at least it should be. And now you know Richard Arnold's about to have certainly more say, it appears, over the football side of the club. And we know that he's not got very much experience in terms of dealing with agents or making decisions over managers. That is the story of Manchester United over the past decade. You know, at so many parts of the club, you're asking, have they got the best fit and the most qualified person for that job? And the answer is almost invariably no. Yeah, take a look at the Athletics Football Podcast feed that was Monday's episode lots of discussion on Manchester United our very own Laurie was on there as well and it harsh from Adam do you agree partly not fully I think with the non-football side he's got more of a more of a point there um I think the on the football side of it you can point to inexperience but I remember a young lad called Pep Guardiola taking over Barca's B team and then getting the first team job after a year and hearing the same things about him. There was another lad at Real Madrid who had no experience called Zinedine Didan. So you can counter it um, both ways. Um, Oli uh, absolutely rejects the point of him being inexperienced because he's been in management for a long time. But then I take the point totally that he's not been at the elite um, level. 
that Norway is not England. Um, so you can look you can look at it both ways. With Kieran, as Laurie says, look, if people were telling me he wasn't very good, I would be reporting that back. But they're not. I think people look when times are bad for, for answers. And I always thought Carlos Queiroz was a brilliant coach. You know, the manager needs a, needs a foil. Um, but I know that there's frustration from, from some of the coaches that they are being attacked for their work and some of them are private people and they can't respond publicly because assistants don't do that. You know, Didn't do it under Jose. Jose didn't even want the name of his assistants on the club website. He just wanted him to be the figurehead. And I know that when Oli first took over and he got that award for manager of the month, he wanted it to be for him and all of his coaches. And they're like, no, no, there's got to be an individual. And when he got the job properly, United are like, no, you are the man. And, and his wages reflect that as well because the coaches are certainly not on the type of money that, that Oli's on. So someone's got to take responsibility. Um, I, I don't... I find that when a football team is losing... Um, blame starts to be lashed around everywhere. I'm really uneasy with this term, lost the dressing room. I don't think there's ever a time when 22 players are harmoniously saying that the manager's the best thing since sliced bread because the ones who aren't being picked certainly aren't. Do you think Donny van der Beek goes home and says that Ollie's fantastic even though the team's winning when they were winning? I don't. I don't know whether he does or doesn't, but I certainly doubt it. Um, but when the team starts losing... Blame starts getting um, lashed around. Um, I speak to lots of people at the club, like 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 Laurie does. Um, I think that I, I trust the judgment of someone like Darren Fletcher. I just do. I've known him for a long enough time. Spoke to him about enough football subjects to to trust his. He's judgment. ingrained in United as well, Andy, isn't yeah, he? I don't even think that matters that much. It doesn't bother me that that Richard Arnold, for example, wasn't going to matches. It doesn't bother me if they're good at the job. They're good at the job. It's it is a help if they understand United, and I think I think that that Ollie does, but that ain't gonna see you keeping a job if results results are poor, and I don't know what do you think, Laurie? Yeah, I, I kind of I totally can see where Adam's coming from because I think it's the it's the cumulative effect of things, isn't it? It's like if there was one person perhaps learning that particular task, then that's that's fine. It sort of seems to be quite a a lot of people that are that have uh, learnt the particular skills that they need at Manchester United, and obviously, you know, Michael Carrick's been a player at Manchester United and has you know done his coaching badges, and he's, he's you know he's a coach. But it's another thing, I suppose, to have that experience of being a coach at that level and knowing those little nuances, you know, with with players, how to say things, what to look out for. Obviously, Mike Phelan's been there and done it. Um, he's got the experience working with Sir Alex and also being on the edge of the pitch watching thousands of ma- matches thousands of training games so he he's perhaps someone there that, that you know he's, he's not learning on the job he you know he, he's come in with that experience um I know listen you might say it's, it's been three years that Oligan Solskjaer has been in charge so he's not learning on the job anymore he, he he should be there which is I think why now the questions are being asked it is is something off kilter with, with the football situation when you're losing 5-0 at home to Liverpool off the back of 4-2 away to Leicester conceding multiple chances uh, each week looking so brittle and then yeah on the football side of things clearly you know since Edward Wood took charge he was learning on the job and there's been situations where United's judgment has been poor in that sense because of the fact that he 
you know, he wasn't. He's not a football executive. He, he wasn't somebody that knows what he's doing when it comes to you know talking to agents or agents or making deals or understanding what a good player or bad player is. Now, obviously, he's got you know better at that, and he's he's done you know good deals that this summer I would say, um, although they were there to be done. So, you know, people can always learn. You know, that's, you have to start somewhere, don't you? As you say, you know, Pep and Zinedine Zidane, you know, have to start somewhere. But equally, they delivered from the get-go. It was like, if if, if Pep and Zidane hadn't delivered from the get-go, they would have been sacked. Um, so that's why now the questions are there about United. And I, I, think, I think they're legitimate questions. When the team are as bad as they are, I think people are entitled to, to ask those questions. And, and and the scrutiny will always be there and that, and that comes with being at one of the biggest clubs in the world the pressure will always be there as well it's intense at the moment that's because results are terrible mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, next up then this weekend, it's easy to forget in some ways with all this discussion and debate around the situation at United and Solskjaer's position, but there is a very, very important game for Solskjaer and for Manchester United at Tottenham. So before we discuss it from a Manchester United perspective, the last couple of weeks we've sort of brought you a view from inside the enemy camp, this time it's Tottenham. So here's a clip then from our Tottenham podcasting colleagues, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. I see a genuine scramble for fourth place. A scramble that it is not impossible to envisage being part of for Tottenham, but not under the current manager. That's the reason why I, I'm so insistent that they, if they're going to do it, and they, they may have to do it, do it straight away, because that fourth place is up for grabs, isn't it? Yeah, it is up for grabs. I mean, United are terrible, and they have been for a long time. That 5-0 defeat to Liverpool should have been no surprise. I think it's kind of been in the post for a while. And as it stands, I don't think they will get fourth. What Tottenham could do in the next few weeks to assure, ensure that they get fourth instead, I don't know. I mean, could they... The, the obvious answer to this, and I don't know if they could do this or not, would be get back on the phone to Antonio Conte and say, Antonio, I'm really sorry about how things went in June. But <laughs> it's been a misunderstanding. A, we, yeah, we, we've thought about it again. And yes, of course, you can, you, of course you can spend £300 million on players or whatever it, whatever it might be that you would specifically want to do. Because if, if Tottenham don't get Conte, there's a good chance that Manchester United get Conte. And if Manchester United get Conte, then I think everyone outside of that big four can say goodbye to playing the Champions League anytime again soon. I think United would be fine against Spurs because the, the, the quality of their forward players might eventually become the deciding factor. Though that is ironic when you think about what Spurs have at the disposal at the front of the team, but not being used properly uh, at the moment. Yeah, we had uh, Rob Tanner, didn't we, before the Leicester game and we had Cy Hughes on here as well before the Liverpool game. It's not gone well so far, uh, I have to admit, <laughs> having people from the other team previewing the matches, but we're going to stick with it. I guess the fact that they're not actually with us, we can perhaps be less polite, Laurie, than we've been uh, with the other two. <laughs> Spurs are not getting fourth, are they? Come on. 
Yeah, let's let's rip into them. Um, <laughs> it's nice hearing a discussion sort of peeping in, sort of fly on the wall kind of. United there. are terrible. Um, I thought that was a bit dramatic. I know. Yes, yeah. scathing. Have been for a while. Abs- absolutely. Well, no, I mean, listen. They, you know, Spurs have got their own problems with with Nuno, haven't they? I mean, he he, you know, is a guy that I think quite a lot of Spurs fans, you know are already tired of um, because of the results. They were, they were pretty poor against West Ham. Um, so it's this is a chance for United to, to, to still go and do it. I mean, I, I think it's, it'll be a different game to Leicester and Liverpool because they won't be they won't be pressed as much. I don't think you know it's going to be you know Harry Kane perhaps dropping deep and the, the problem they might have is. Tottenham's quick counter-attacks, which is something that obviously they've been susceptible to against Everton, against Wolves, against Southampton, against anyone you can name, Newcastle. Um, so that's that's a concern. But I do think United have got, you know, again, the players, the wherewithal, the Arsenal to actually go, I probably shouldn't say Arsenal when they're going to Tottenham, but, you know, to, to go and do, to go to go and win this game, you know, not comfortably, but, you know, well, you know, like, like they did last season, 3-1 away at Spurs was a really good performance. Um, I mean, it was interesting. I was thinking back and I know none of the issues have been David De Gea's fault at all. He has been superb. You know, he's been pulling off one world-class save a game, basically keeping the score down, really. But it did remind me that actually Dean Henderson was in goal for the away match at Spurs last season. and was great, you know, uh, the way he came out of his box and kind of commanded his area. You know, talks probably more than De Gea and, and that kind of organisational aspect of being a goalkeeper is something, I think, to consider. I'm not saying Solskjaer's going to change. He's not going to change De Gea. But, you know, it's just something that reminded me. And he also was away at City in the in the 2-0 as well, Dean Henderson. So back-to-back game, you know, Tottenham and Man City. Um, so, but yeah, against Spurs, I just think they're, they're in a, a mode where United can take advantage. They should, if they can kind of have take a breath this week, and realise that they are good players, you know, I'm sure they do. Um, they should know that they can go to Spurs and win. Um, and it, that would be, you know, a huge, that, that, that could change the dynamic for Solskjaer. Yeah, in a sense, the attack has actually not been that bad. Uh, I, I, I don't really know whether I'm right in saying that as such, but that's how it feels a little bit. Even against Liverpool, there was chances created and it's more of sort of about stopping them at the back. I mean, that, that clip there, Andy, was from... Uh, the view from the lane, which is of course the Athletics Tottenham podcast, it it does give you an insight into sort of what they're thinking about this match. I wonder whether it's I wonder whether it's better that this game's at Tottenham than if it was at Old Trafford. Not not just because Manchester United's away form has been decent over the last sort of few years, but it's in Tottenham's noise. It's in amongst their negative atmosphere, isn't it? So could that benefit United, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. This will be the first time at Tottenham's ground when United fans have gone. Um, with because remember just before COVID uh, we were about to play at Tottenham and that was a game that, that, that was cancelled it's pretty stark as you said when you hear someone saying Man United are terrible but <laughs> no one no one can't, talked can't to Byron they just let it can't go argue. didn't they you can't argue with it and um, da- I didn't know Danny Kelly did the Spurs podcast I think he's a, he's a great broadcaster and he was very good with me when I was a, a young journalist and if Manchester United destroy Spurs at the weekend like I'm thinking that they're going to do because I'm an idiot as well I'm going to go and find Danny Kelly inside that ground and say what a Man United then you know you know at kickoff time right even against Leicester even against <laughs> Liverpool I'm thinking going to be our day this and I hate myself for this (laughs) I absolutely hate myself for it and at Spurs on Saturday when that whistle goes and it might it might last for three minutes before Spurs go ahead but I can't help it keeps pulling you you back in Spurs have got problems um United at Spurs last year were fantastic that that goal where 
Mason Greenwood and Cavani combined was absolutely magnificent. It really was. Just the um, the interaction between the two of them. And Greenwood's such an intelligent player and Cavani clearly is. And I'd like to see Cavani play at Spurs at the weekend based on the fact that he's, he's brilliant and um, he was brilliant there last year and he works his nuts off. And I think he's been a little bit unlucky this year. But I'm not the manager. That's just me talking as a fan. But when you speak to Spurs people, they also say we're terrible. So... Yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm I'm glad United are going to to Spurs over you know fifteen other teams because I'd love to think that the United players are that pissed off this week and hurting that they they really do owe the fans and there'll be three thousand United fans they owe themselves Andy don't they Yeah, they do owe themselves, of course they do because they've not been performing. They owe the manager, the manager owes it as well because he's clearly partly culpable with this too. So, 3,000 United fans. United could have sold 15,000 tickets there, no problem at all. It's a really hard ticket to get, and the, the fans are going to be behind the team, even though the circumstances are really difficult. It would be nice to get to to get a win so that we're not coming back into this podcast on the Monday full of doom. No, because we've got a preview Atalanta and the Manchester derby after that. Can you imagine? Jeez. I can't do this anymore by Caribou. We'll just be we'll just play that instead of doing the uh doing the podcast. Laurie, I'm gonna let you go, mate, because I know you have got a busy day ahead, haven't you? What are you up to? Going down to London, um, yeah, hopefully seeing a couple of people uh into the office. We've got a nice office in London, uh, and then obviously at the game on Saturday. I'll see Andy there. Uh are you there, Ian? No, no, I'm not there. Thank you. <laughs> so, probably for the best. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I'll see you anyway. Thanks, yeah, okay. guys. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you. Andy, um, before we go then, not only has it been a busy week talking about Manchester United and partying and whatever else, but you've also had a book published. People might have heard a bit about it already, I think. Laurie told me, by the way, if United win, he's running on the pitch at Spurs. He's just weighing up whether he's going to get sacked <laughs> for that or not. So watch yeah, out we'll, watch out we'll for we'll that, listeners. Met police know. Tweet him because he won't have heard this. If United go ahead, if United win, he's running on the pitch. Um, yeah, the book is Patrice Evra's autobiography and it comes out today, the 28th of October. I ghost wrote it with Patrice. I started writing it in 2015 with him. So it was a very, very long process. Took a lot of my life, that book. I went to see him in Turin and Marseille and Paris and London. I, I did my job properly. I went to meet all of his friends in Paris and met him in Manchester and, you know, I did my best. But He's the star. He's the one with the life story. And it's an incredible life story. And um, there have been some extracts out this week. And they've been making headline news in, in France and in, in the UK. Yeah, I'd I just like to think that I've done his life story uh, justice. Uh, I've, done, I've done it to the best of my ability. And I've read plenty of bad autobiographies. And I'd like to think that Patrice is, it, 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 it is not. There's some incredible stuff in there. And he hasn't, he hasn't held back... Um, Either there are there are a lot of highs and there are a lot of lows and you come out of his background and it is tough. He had the most challenging childhood. He really did, and we've seen the headlines this week about the sexual abuse he suffered as as a as a as a young man. I mean, last time I met Patrice two weeks ago in Manchester, he told me that he had to go and tell his mum that he'd been sexually abused as a child. He was flying to Paris the next day to see her. I mean, what do you do when someone tells you that? And there's there's some heavy, heavy stuff in the book, but trust me, there are some absolute laugh out loud moments in there as well. 
and mm. well, you'd expect that of Patrice. Oh, he's Hunt, he's, he's um he's a, he's a fascinating character, but he's also got the intelligence to tell the stories and to articulate them. He speaks about five or six languages. I mean, how, how on earth do you strike up a relationship with with Ji Sung Park when he can only speak Korean? I mean, one player does, and it's Patrice. How did that work? Did he talk about that? Because that, yeah, that sort of becomes did. synonymous of with his time did. at United. So Park, Tevez, and Patrice, and there's only like very minimal crossover between who can speak what language. But somehow the three of them became really close. Yeah, they, they could become really close mates. Tevez like only spoke like Barrio Argentinian Spanish. And yet somehow becomes top mates with Patrice to the point that he's hammering him when he comes back saying, you're not City. He says, yeah, we're playing here now, aren't I? Come off it. You're not City. I know you're United. You've got a United shirt hanging up in your, in your room at your house. You're United. And I'm going to kick you every time I go near you today because you've made a massive mistake. And I'm just going to keep on kicking you. And at the end of the game, when we've won, I'm going to come and shake your hand. And um, that's what he did. Yeah, well, he kicked in for all of us, basically, yeah. didn't he? I think a lot of us were tempted to do that. He, he, he played at he played at great, great clubs. He played at Juventus. He was a big successor. He he went to Marseille. He wasn't quite the same successor, and he he jumped into the crowd after a dispute with a supporter. And um, sometimes he he is of the opinion that direct action is a a better measure than diplomacy. And you know, Cantona had the same feeling. Pat's got no regrets on stuff like that. So. I'm doing a night with him in Manchester before the derby. There's still some tickets on sale at the Lowry Theatre. Just a night of me and him talking on a stage and getting some interesting requests for tickets from people. So hopefully that'll go well too. Yeah, I'm sure it will. He is a fascinating character. One thing that's interesting, Andy, from some of the serialisation that's come out this week is the parallels because he he talked quite a lot about um, David Moyes leaving Manchester United and, of course, all the pressure that Solskjaer is under this week. It was interesting that the insight he gave about exactly how it went with the players and, and Woodward going to speak to them and all this side of things. Really fascinating that that should be, that should be this week as well, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that wasn't planned. The, the stuff on like Luis Suarez wasn't planned to come out before the Liverpool game. The book was always coming out on the 28th of October. That was decided in April of this year or March of this year. Uh, Patrice just gives a very good insight into what Manchester United was like during the David Moyes uh, time. And, and he liked David Moyes. I remember being once with him in Marseille and receiving a message off David Moyes. And, and I said, guess who I'm with? And I was with Patrice. And it wasn't telling me he's a, he's a knob. It was like, it was, it was a nice interaction. And I, uh, Patrice then rang him and called himself one of his soldiers because he really wanted to try and, and work for, for David Moyes. And he's delighted that David's now doing well and knocking Manchester City out of cup uh, uh, trophies. Um, but... It was a very complicated and complex time at Old Trafford at the time, and and he speaks about it, and it, and it's fascinating because he was on the inside, we weren't. Yeah, he was there. He was in. He was seeing it, yeah. what was going on. He was in amongst it. He was having the arguments, the fights. You know, he's he's not he's not a man who's shy. At... Offering the man Vidic out, could he not have picked someone easier? I mean, he's picked his target there. And I say again, he's got a massive amount of respect for Vidic. And they just had disputes, but Roy Keane and Gary Pallister didn't get on for a long time. And I, I think the world in the man, I, I, I have a relationship with him, which is one of my best in football and really unusual one because when he played, I barely knew him beyond the mix zone. And uh, him and Patrice, um, they just had disagreements. And yeah, Patrice did offer him out for a fight. And 
I wouldn't do that to Nemanja Vidic because I'd fancy his chances against the fighter who Fergie was with a few weeks ago. I mean, Vidic is absolutely nails. He was 40 last week, by the way. Happy birthday, Nemanja. It's fascinating. They're both so driven, utterly, utterly driven, that they are prepared to come to blows about it. And a part of me thinks that is magnificent because they won the lot. I think so. They want to win. They want to they win. win. They want to win. Simple as that. It was a great line that he'd gone home to plan how to punch Nemanja. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Nemanja's saying, what's he written about me in the book? I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's... A, but look, at the bottom line, he's got a huge amount of respect for Nemanja as a player and as a person, and I certainly have. He's... Nemanja's totally different. You know, Nemanja's not a man for social media. He's a real family man. He's all about his children. Um, I'd go to Milan to meet him every single year and I'd write up an article and I'd, I'd mention his kids, just just take a bit out about my kids. I'm like, look, it's not a problem to mention you've got children. And, and he's extremely private like that. Patrice is completely different. Fine. Both legends of Manchester United and, and both top human beings. Absolutely. I look forward to reading that book, Andy. It sounds absolutely fascinating, even from the little snippets that you've given us on the podcast today. It's out now. Go and have a look at that, Manchester United fans, and if you're in Manchester as well. Andy's got the evening with Patrice ahead of the Manchester derby in a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks next week, actually, isn't it? Yeah, it's November the 5th, the night before the derby. Expect fireworks. Yeah, should get the the old first team down there, shouldn't they? To jam up ahead of the game. (laughs) Get them singing. Absolutely. Anything will help at the moment, I think. But that's it for the Talk of the Devils this week. Thank you, Andy, for joining us as always. Thank you to Laurie, who's already nipped off as well. And thank you for listening as well. An apology, we had questions in there that we were going to answer today. But because of the situation, because of the detail that we needed to get in there, we didn't get to those questions. But we will do next week. So again, look out, as always, for a request for questions on the real-time section of the Athletic app. Let's hope we're back on Monday reviewing a win for Manchester United at Tottenham. That would totally change the mood, at least for the short term, wouldn't it? And it'd make doing the podcast on Monday a little bit more enjoyable, perhaps. Although I've enjoyed today. And I hope you've enjoyed listening too. That's it for Talk of the Devils. We'll see you on Monday. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic.